Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm the student pastor here at Gateway, and it is my privilege this morning to be able to share with you in this fourth week of our Fully You series. We've been on a journey together, and our goal has been to help you understand the new identity which Jesus offers to us when you put your faith and your trust in him and what the implications are for the way that we live. Because our past experiences cause us to view the world through this lens uh, of, of hurt sometimes. And in that first week, uh, Tony introduced this, this, this triangle, right, that talked about the three innate needs that all of us have, that we have needs for safety, and we have needs for connection and needs for empowerment. And that when one of those needs is threatened, we often experience that as, as shame. Shame in the form of abandonment, shame in the form of rejection, shame in the form of humiliation. And it causes us to respond in ways that we're not always always proud of. And so our goal throughout this series is to help all of us to understand how we can begin to move forward in healthy ways and the ways that we respond when one of those areas is threatened. Um, Last week, Tony had the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about the idea of change, right? That change is hard. Um, I don't know about you, New Year's resolutions, not something that I've done pretty well with. Um, When we try to change ourselves, we often find that it's just frustrating. We're running into walls. We're constantly coming up against our own shortcomings. But but the real change is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. That as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us from the inside outward, that things that seemed impossible before become possible through the power of God's Spirit. And so one of the things that Tony mentioned is that there 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 are habits, there are disciplines, there are things that we can cultivate which give fertile soil for the Holy Spirit to be able to work through us in that way. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks, and today we're going to talk uh, about the first of those. And, and I'm just going to be, I'm just going to tell you <laughs> straight up, um, today might be tough. Uh, it was for me. Because what we're talking about today is how we tackle our responses to hurt. And the truth um, is that what we're talking about today has huge implications for our lives. Huge. And, and, and I don't just say that lightly. What I mean is that, like, the way that you respond to what we're talking about today has the potential to, to kind of make or break you. And I, I would go so far as to say that your relationship, your standing with, with God, kind of hangs in the balance. Um, that's, that's what is at stake here today. Several weeks ago, uh, Tony said, hey, would you be willing to preach, uh, you know, a little over a month? And, and I said, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, didn't know what the topic would be, didn't know what the series would be, didn't know what the passage would be. And so a few weeks ago, I sat down to begin to kind of look through this passage and, and, and think through it and study it and think through what I wanted to say. And um, it became apparent very quickly to me that I had some work to do uh, in my own life. And is is so often the case when, when you're teaching um, it, it forces you to reflect inward on what's going on here. And, and, and what I, I came to a watershed moment, right, a tipping point where I had a decision to make what I was going to do with this. And I would say that I feel pretty comfortable saying that today, many of you are probably going to find yourselves in the same kind of a situation. You're going to have a choice to make or maybe several choices to make. And, uh, and the question is what, what you'll do with that. It, it may be a difficult decision. I know it was for me. So here's what I want to do today. This goes against everything that I would normally do as a communicator, um, which is always a good way to start things off. But um, I want to jump right into the passage for today. And the reason is, first of all, we have a lot to cover in the next 25 to 30 minutes. And thankfully, I talk super fast, which you are all, you're all trying to keep up with me right now. Um, but also because I think it's going to become apparent really quickly as we get into this passage what the topic 
for today is. And so here's what I want to do. If you have your Bibles, uh, go and open up to Matthew 18. It'll be on the screen as well if you'd rather follow along, follow along that way. But if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up because um, this will be helpful. Um, to give you a little bit of context, really quick, um, at this point, the disciples, and, you know, Jesus is about two years into his earthly ministry, and uh, the disciples have been with him this whole time, and uh, he's been teaching them at every chance that he gets about this idea of the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of heaven. What is this all about? And, and he's been trying to teach them that this kingdom of heaven is so different. It's so upside down from the kingdoms that, that they are familiar with. And they, they usually didn't get it. And I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have either, right? Because it's just so different, so upside down. But, but right now in this passage, they're on a journey from one town to another. And so as he so often did, Jesus takes that opportunity to teach. And he's talking about this idea of the kingdom, right? And, uh, and it causes one of his disciples to ask him a question, and that's where we're going to pick up today. So, uh, and the big bolded word there, that's what we're talking about today, if you haven't picked that up yet. Forgiveness, all right? So here's, what, here's how the story starts. It says, then Peter came up, and he said, Lord, how often will my brother or sister sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, we're talking about forgiveness today. Forgiveness is central to following Jesus. It's, it's foundational to following Jesus. Matthew's narrative, if we were to scroll back a little bit in Matthew's gospel, we see this, this time where the disciples ask Jesus, how do we pray, right? And Jesus says, well, you pray like this. And, and he gives them what we know is the Lord's Prayer. And a part of that prayer, right, said what? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It was so important that he baked it into the daily prayer that he told them to pray, right? And and so then we scroll forward a little bit, and just before this passage, again, Jesus finds himself teaching again about this idea of forgiveness. It's the very thing that that prompts Peter's question. And here's the deal I'm just going to ask you. Has anybody in in this room ever been wronged by another human being before? Anybody? No? All right. Yeah, we got one over here. Um, Then this is for you then these words are for you, right? Yeah, not just you. <laughs> for all of us. These words are for us, right? And, and here's the thing. If we're one of Jesus' disciples at this point, we've been with him for a couple years already. We've heard him teach over and over and over again. One thing that we already know, before we even get to Peter's question, is this. We know that f- forgiveness is foundational to following Jesus. And, and if you hear nothing else today, if there's nothing else you take away from what, what I have to say to you today, if you're online and you, at this point you go shop on Amazon, whatever, if there's nothing else that you hear, this is what I want you to hear. Followers of Jesus forgive. And we're going to fill that out later, but the bottom line, the central theme of today is that followers of Jesus forgive. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to forgive those who wrong you. Full stop. Jesus doesn't really leave another alternative. As as we get further on in this passage, you're going to see that's pretty much a non-negotiable for Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to forgive. And so so with that in mind, knowing that the disciples would have already known that, we return to the story, and Peter again says, he says, Lord, how often, if a brother or sister wrongs me, am I supposed to forgive him or her? As many as seven times? Now, If you're Peter, you're probably thinking that's pretty generous, right? And quite honestly, I think that's pretty generous too. If I forgave somebody seven times, I'd probably be done, right? But the other thing to remember is that Peter and Jesus and all the disciples are Jews, right? They grew up in the Jewish tradition. And the Jewish tradition said you forgive somebody three times. 
but no more than three times. And that comes out of the prophet Amos, the book of Amos, where God forgives Israel three times, but on the fourth time, he's like, I'm done. I'm done with you. And so the idea was, you, you don't forgive somebody more than three times because then you would be somehow more gracious or more merciful than God himself. And that's just not, not possible. So when Peter says seven times, Peter's probably using hyperbole already. You know, he doesn't actually think that Jesus is going to say, yeah, but, but Jesus, being Jesus, says this. He says, no, no, Peter, Peter, I don't say to you seven times. I say 77 times. Now, here's the deal. Here's a question. Is, is Jesus having a conversation about math here? Like, does Jesus really expect us to try and count? Like, you're on 76, man. You got, you got one more to go, and you're done, right? No, no, not at all. He's actually, Jesus does this all the time. And again, we're not Jewish, so we miss this kind of stuff. But he's being this subversive rabbi ninja. He does this all the time, right? There's one other place. There's only one other place in all of the Hebrew Scripture where the numbers 7 and 77 occur closely together. And you probably don't know what it is. Has anybody ever heard the story of Lamech? Probably not. But you probably heard the story of Cain and Abel. As a matter of fact, if you were here two weeks ago, Tony talked about that very story, right? You've got, you've got Cain, the, uh, the gatherer, and Abel, the hunter. Uh, they both come and they present their offerings before God. And um, for whatever reason, Scripture doesn't really tell us why, but God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And so Cain gets really upset about that, and he's, he's, feeling, a lot, he's feeling a lot of vengeance towards his brother, right? He just wants to do something about that. And, and God warns me, he says, listen, sin is crouching at your door, Cain and you need to rule over it. But that's not what he does. He chooses instead to murder his brother out of, out of vengeance, right? And so he eventually then, he kind of, he leaves, he goes east, he founds a city, names it after his son, and, and we just kind of skip several generations really quick in Genesis 4. Uh, we get to this man named Lamech, who would be Cain's great-great-grandson. And Lamech is really famous for one thing. It's, it's a pretty short passage. But he writes this, this short poem, Basically, he tells a story about this guy who wrongs him, and he murdered him. And the poem is basically this. He says, he says, listen, if Cain's vengeance on Abel was sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold, right? In other words, like, we just went to 11 on this thing. Like, what, if you think that what Cain did was bad, like, I, that, I am all about vengeance, 77-fold, right? And while we miss that, those who grew up learning the Torah— would have made that connection between those two numbers to that foundational story of the Jewish faith. And so what's Jesus doing here? Jesus is taking a foundational story and he's flipping it upside down again. He's saying that the, the story of Genesis 4 is that humanity just cycled and degenerated into this, this bitterness and this rage and this vengeance and this hatred. But, but citizens of the kingdom of God are supposed to do the opposite. Where, where humanity had sought out radical vengeance, followers of Jesus are meant to seek out radical forgiveness. And just in case, just in case the story, or maybe you're not buying that, that's okay, just in case that story wasn't enough, Jesus goes on to tell another story to to illustrate his point. And here's what he says. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, the king in Jesus' parables is always God the Father, to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, here's the deal. Bible, author, or Bible translators know you don't have a clue what a talent is, right? If you have the NIV, your Bible might say 10,000 bags of gold, and they're just trying to kind of 
make it work for you. Um, if you flip to that page at the very back of your Bible that you never ever pay attention to, it's the table of weights and measures that'll tell you that a talent is equal to 15 years wages for a day laborer, okay? So in today's economy, that's about $455,000. The servant owes the master 10,000 talents, which is $4.5 billion. And here's the deal. Again, is Jesus having a discussion about math? No. He doesn't care about math. What he's basically doing is this. He's giving a number that is astronomical, that is unpayable, that you could never handle. You're, you're supposed to be like, whoa, you know? He might, have, he might as well have just said a bajillion dollars. That's what he's trying to get at right here. There's no way that this person could ever pay this debt, right? As we move on, it says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Now, this seems incredibly inhumane uh, and kind of barbaric to us, but it was an extremely common practice at the time. Um, you couldn't pay a debt. You basically sold yourself into debt slavery until you paid it off, and then you were freed, right? This is how I paid for every youth ministry tip, trip as a teen for my parents, right? I was, I was in debt slavery to my parents. <laughs> thank, thank God for that. Um, so it seems barbaric to us, but this was normal because he was trying to make, make everything right. He owed him a debt. It needed to be paid. This is how it was going to happen, right? And so here's what happened. The servant fell on his knees, and he implored him, please have patience with me, and I will pay you everything, right? He's not going to pay him everything. There's no way in 10 lifetimes he would ever pay him everything. And here's what it says. It says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out then, turned around, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Again, you don't know what a denarius is. I think in, your, in the NIV it says pieces of silver. A denarius is one day's wages for a laborer. One day's wages. So a hundred denarii, it's not necessarily a small amount. In today's, in today's economy, it'd be about $12,000, maybe a semester at a university. Um, but it pales in comparison to the bajillion dollars that the first guy owed, Right? Like, we're talking 400,000 times less what that guy owed. And yet, here's his response. The servant fell down and pleaded with him, or I'm sorry, he, he seized him, he began to choke him, and he said, pay what you owe. And again, this is the same guy who just had his debt forgiven, his massive debt forgiven. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. And notice, notice the parallelism, right? Same exact words, same exact words that the first servant used. He said, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay his debt. Now, I'm not an economist, but if somebody owes you $12,000, what's the best way to make sure they never pay you back? You take away their ability to work, right? You put them in jail. You put it, what, what is going on here? It's almost like at this point the servant doesn't want the other servant to be able to pay him back. Story continues, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Yeah? And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. And here's where we begin to fill out our, our bottom line. Remember, our bottom line is followers forgive. And I said, we're going we're gonna to expand that out a little bit. This is where we, in the story where we, be, we begin to do that. The story continues, then his master summoned him, the second servant, and he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Because you see, when the king forgave the first servant that massive amount of debt, there was kind of an expectation there 
the expectation was that that servant would comport himself in the same way in his own dealings, that he would have the same mindset as the master because followers of Jesus forgive. And when we fail to forgive, we fail to follow Jesus. Like the forgiven servant, when we fail to forgive those who have wronged us, we fail to follow the example of our king who released us from our unpayable debt. And Jesus paints the picture of the king here as enraged, enraged by the servant's failure to forgive. Here's, here's what he says. Remember, followers forgive. I fail to forgive. I fail to follow. It says, and in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Notice the king's response. The king's response to that servant was the same as that servant's response to his own servant, right? He threw him into jail. The king said, okay, I'm going to do the same thing for you. And, and again, removing any chance he possibly had of paying that debt back, right? If there was any remote chance he was ever going to pay that back, that was removed the moment that the master threw him into jail, right? And so here Jesus closes the story with a very direct statement to show how seriously he takes this on the screen. He said, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus makes it clear that somehow my forgiveness is linked to my ability to forgive others. My ability to forgive has real impact and real consequences as it pertains to my own forgiveness. And the stakes are clear. Jesus says, says it this way. When I fail to forgive, I not only fail to follow, but I forfeit my own forgiveness. And that's devastating. That's, I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. That's not to be taken lightly. And look, is there, again, is there a person in this room who has never been wronged? Is there a person here today who has never felt the sting of being wronged by another human being? Followers forgive. When we fail to forgive, we fail to follow, and we forfeit our own forgiveness. How many times, Jesus? How many times do we forget? Every, every time. So how, how, how are we feeling right now at the end of the story? Because I know how I was feeling at this point. Because this idea of forgiveness was clearly so important to Jesus, um, because it's so important to us, I think it's worth taking a few moments to talk about what does Jesus mean by forgiveness? What is he getting at here in this story when he, when he says you should forgive 77 times? And to get there, we're going to do something that we should do whenever we have the opportunity to do so. And that's to interpret Jesus' words by Jesus' other words, right? And so if we, if we were to hop back up just a few verses in this very same chapter, to Matthew 18, I think it's yeah, 15 through 17, we're going, to hear Jesus, we're going to hear the teaching that Jesus gave that prompted Peter to ask the question about how many times do I forgive, right? And I'm just going to read it to you, uh, and then we're going to talk about what this means a little bit. So it's on the screen. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault. You go and you talk to him. Between you and him or her alone. If he or she listens to you, you have gained your brother or sister. But, oh, next one, yeah. If he or she does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he or she refuses to listen, then... Tell it to the church. And if he or she refuses to listen even to the church, let him or her be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And this is what prompted Peter's question, right? So here's what I want to do real quick. With those words in mind, 
Uh, that was Matthew 18, 15 through 17, if you want to have that in front of you. With those words in mind, I want to talk a little bit about what forgiveness is, but I first want to talk about what forgiveness is not, because I think it's important to dispel some of the common misconceptions of what forgiveness is not. Okay? So four things on the screen. Number one, forgiveness is not being a doormat. It is not being a doormat. This is probably, I would think, the most common misunderstanding about forgiveness. You've heard the phrase forgive and forget, right? How's that working for you? If someone wrongs you, you're supposed to just pretend that nothing ever happened, right? And just, and just move on. But, but can Jesus mean that? Can Jesus mean that? T- take a look back at the words that we just read, right? What, what's the first thing you're supposed to do if somebody wrongs you? Go and talk to them, right? You go and talk to them. And, and what happens if they don't listen? You, you bring somebody else with you. And what happens if they still don't listen? You, you bring somebody else from the community with you as well so that your charge can be established by multiple witnesses. And part of that is this. Sometimes, sometimes I need other people to be there with me because maybe I'm the one that's in the wrong. And my thinking is just way too clouded in that moment to be able to see that. And so I need people there with me to help me sort that out, right? But does Jesus say we ignore the wrong? Does Jesus say that we forget the wrong? That we condone the behavior? That we excuse the behavior? No. Obviously not, because the first thing he tells us to do is go and talk to the person, right? So forgiveness is, is not being a doormat. The second thing forgiveness is not is it is, it is not tolerating further abuse or allowing for, a further, for further abuse. If someone is hurting you, does Jesus intend for you to just take it? To suffer in silence? To, to endure further abuse? This is pedantic, but again, look at, the, look at the passage again. What does Jesus tell you to do if somebody is wronging you? You go and you, you talk to him. And if they don't listen, you bring somebody else. And if they, you bring somebody else, right? Does Jesus envision that you're going to be alone with that person again in the future? Or does Jesus envision that there is increasing distance created as you bring more and more people along with you? I want to take a, I want to pause here for a moment because I think that this is so important and I think the church has gotten this wrong so, so many times. If you are in a situation, if you are in a situation where you are being abused, whether it's verbally or emotionally or physically or sexually or financially, Jesus does not want you to continue to suffer in that. Jesus does not want you to suffer in silence. That's not what he has for you. He does not intend for you to just endure more harm. The, the first, the primary, the most important thing you need to do if you are in a situation like that is you need to get safe. You need to find safety so that you can begin the process of forgiveness. Because Jesus does want you to forgive. Jesus does not want you to stay in an abusive situation and continue to suffer harm. That's not what he has for you. And, and I, think, I think so often we, we get that wrong, and, uh, and, and I just, I just want to make that clear. And so if you're here today, and that, that describes you, your first priority is to get safe. And if you don't have a person, if you don't have a safe person that you can go and talk to about that, but I just want to offer you two today. Pastor Tony, great person to talk to if you need someone to talk to about that. He's not here today. I'll stand in his place happily today 
if you need to talk to somebody about that. His wife, Tamara, also a great person. If you, if you don't want to talk to somebody who's a male, you're a female, and you're in the middle of something, and, you, and you're like, I just I can't talk to a man, that's, that's fine. I understand that. You can talk to Tamara. And we'll help you work through that because I, just, I need you to hear that this morning, okay? So forgiveness. Forgiveness is not being a doormat, number one. Number two, forgiveness is not tolerating further abuse. Number three, forgiveness is not reconciliation or restoration. Forgiveness is a unilateral act that we do from one person to another, right? But reconciliation takes two parties working together, right? And listen, have you ever been in a situation where somebody came up to you and said, hey, that thing you said, that, that really hurt? Or that, that thing you did, um, that, that really hurt me. Like, that, that's an awful situation to be in, right? And you immediately kind of take a defensive posture, like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's, you know, take, take it easy here. That's not what I was trying to do. Reconciliation is a two-way street. It's, it takes worth, work from both parties. And when you forgive someone, when you forgive someone, can you guarantee that they're going to understand that they hurt you? Can you, can you guarantee that they're going to see the wrong that they've done and want to make that right and want to make reconciliation? Can you control the thoughts of another human being? No. You can't. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It's an important step on the way, but it is not reconciliation or restoration by itself. And the reality is there are times when that won't even be possible, whether it's because of distance or because of circumstances, or maybe in some cases even death. There might be a person that you need to forgive who is, you will never be able to reconcile with because they're not here anymore. And so forgiveness does not necessarily mean, forgiveness is not reconciliation or restoration. And finally, forgiveness is not releasing all the consequences uh, of a person's action. Now, forgiveness may mean releasing all the consequences, but that is not a hard, fast rule by any stretch of imagination. There may be a time where releasing somebody of all the consequences is the most socially irresponsible thing that you could do. Because in releasing that person, you have released them to go and hurt somebody else. And I'm just going to be honest. I don't have any great rule for this. This is hard work to decide when and what kind of circumstances, you know, are allow, would allow for us to release all consequences. That's where we need each other. That's where we have to be a part of a community that helps us work through that kind of stuff because, because that's tough. So, so for whatever, whatever forgiveness is, it's none of these four things. It's not being a doormat. It's not tolerating further abuse. It's not reconciling the relationship, and it's not releasing all consequences. So if it's not these things, what is forgiveness? If you look at the very last line of the story that Jesus was sharing today, Where did he say forgiveness takes place? If you do not forgive them in your heart, right? Now, in 21st century America, we talk about the heart. We talk about it as the seat of emotions, right? We talk about it. It's where we feel. You know, you fall in love. Your heart is the seat of your emotions. But in first century, a first century Palestinian Jew had no concept of what we would say the brain is. For us, the brain is the thinking mechanism, right? It is where we make choices. It is where we, it is where we reason. It is where, it is where the will is seated. But for a first century Jew, that all took place in the heart. The heart was not just the seat of the emotions. The heart was the seat of the will, the place where you made choices, right? And so for, the thing is, forgiveness is not necessarily something that we feel, Forgiveness is a choice 
It's a choice that we make, a choice of the will that we make up here, which hopefully eventually then gets to here, right? But we make the decision and the feeling follows. Because here's the deal. Forgiveness, probably not something you're, you're going to, like, want to do. It's not something that we naturally drift towards to forgive another human being. Something in us desires for justice to be served, for the wrong to be righted, for the scales of justice to be balanced. But look at the story. What does unforgiveness do to a person? You know, we saw that the, the master for, you know, was going to allow the servant to go into debt slavery, and that was normal, right? He was just trying to right the wrong. You owe me. This is how we can make it even, right? But what did the second servant do? The fir- to the, what did the first servant do to the second servant? The first servant, he, he goes and he, he chokes him, right? And he throws him into jail, removing all ability for the guy to make any money at all. Because at that point, he didn't want forgiveness. You know, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't want the wrong to be righted. Because it wasn't about the money anymore. It was about power. Because when somebody has wronged you, there is a sense that you hold some sort of sway, some sort of power over them because of the situation, right? And we gravitate towards that. We, we like that power. And that bitterness and that resentment, they just grow. They grow and they simmer. And we find ourselves wanting the satisfaction of just, just a little chokehold, Right? We want, we want to throw them in jail. We want them to understand how they hurt us. We want them to be able to really get it, right? But that's not, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice of the heart, a choice of, of the will. To do what? It's a choice that I make to give up my right to retaliation and to change my attitude about the situation and about the person. We choose to forgive first. The feeling follows later. And we choose to do this because despite our own failings, both individual and collective, what we do to one another, what we've done to this, this creation that God has given us as a gift, but despite all of that, God forgives us. We owe bajillions of dollars to the, the God who gave us this world and gave us one another, and look what we've done with the place. But the king is so committed to his good creation, that his response is not to annihilate it. His response is to come on the scene in the form of Jesus and to personally absorb into himself all of the ruin and the anger and the bitterness and the sin and the evil and the death and to do so as an act of love. And then through his resurrection, he offers us new life and release from those consequences of what we have done here. And when we forget that, when we forget that the king has done that for us, we start to believe that we have some sort of higher ground than those who have wronged us. That somehow what they did is more significant than what I've done, right? But when we reckon with our own brokenness, and we recognize that just like our lives and our experiences and our motivations are complex, so too are the lives and the motivations and the experiences of the person who has wronged us. And, and while we'd like to believe that we're the guy that owes $12,000 and the person who wronged us owes us four and a half billion or a bajillion, we realize we're really just the same, right? So Jesus is clear. When I fail to forgive, I fail to follow Jesus, and I forfeit my own forgiveness. I don't know where you're at today with all of this. You know, where do you locate yourself in this story? If I had to bet, 
I would say that you probably have a pretty good idea of what Jesus is asking you to do as a result of his words here. You may be here today and you've, you've never made the decision to follow Jesus before. And, and you're feeling the weight of your past decisions, the debt you've, accumul- you've accumulated over the course of your life through bad decisions, through things you wish you could take back. And when you, when you look back and you survey your life, you see a, a trail of hurt and pain that you have left for people. And you, you need to feel the release of that weight. You feel the debt, and you need to feel the release of that. And if that describes you, then maybe today, maybe today is the day that you fall before that king, and you plead for forgiveness, and you accept that grace and that mercy that he offers to you and says, it's gone. Wiped it clean, no more to be seen. I'm giving you a new life with a fresh slate. And, and, and now I'm asking you to do the same to the people who have wronged you. But maybe you're here today and you've already made that decision to follow Jesus uh, with your life, but you're feeling all sorts of things right now. You're feeling conflicted. You're feeling all sorts of emotions um, because someone has threatened your need for safety or your need for connection or your need for empowerment, and, and you, are, you are bitter about it. You are you're angry. You resent them, and you, that's been growing in you because of what they've done to you, and you've been holding on to it for far too long. And I don't know who that is for you. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the friend who turned on you or betrayed your trust or, or just inexplicably walked away from the relationship for whatever reason. Maybe it's the coach in your life who played favorites. Maybe it was a teacher or a professor or a boss who embarrassed you, a coworker who climbed over you or threw you under the bus to get what they wanted, a friend who manipulated you, a person who wounded you with their words. Maybe a person of authority who, rather than looking out for you, took advantage of you. Or maybe it's a a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a parent, a loved one who who is abusing you or who has abused you in the past. And you have been holding on to those feelings with anger and bitterness and resentment. You want the chokehold. You want them to feel the pain that you feel. And you've gone beyond wanting to ask them for forgiveness or give them forgiveness. You just want them to suffer. Followers forgive. And when we fail to forgive, we fail to follow. And we forfeit our own forgiveness. So what do you need to do with this today? Um, as we close, I just want to share with you what, what this required of me. Um, you know, for me, the person that I needed to forgive was a member of my uh, previous ministry team who... Uh, constantly disrespected me, disregarded my authority, ignored my instructions, uh, made passive-aggressive remarks, um, undermining my leadership, made it a point to tell me what I was doing wrong, what I could have been doing better, how I wasn't doing the job the way this person thought that I should be. And, And this person was toxic to the rest of our ministry team. But this person was also a committed volunteer who loved their students, who was the only one on our team who had parented two teenagers all the way through high school. And so I did what I thought was the noble thing. I was the doormat. And I took the arrows because I thought that that would be what was best for our team. I would absorb the negativity into myself to deflect it from everybody else. But, but what that bred in me was frustration and bitterness and resentment. And I didn't, I didn't want to be around that person. I went out of my way to avoid that person. I hoped that eventually the problem would just solve itself. And you can guess how that worked. And over time, that bitterness just, it just ate away, ate away at me. And I was content to just let it simmer because, after all, I'm not a part of that community anymore. I'm not a part of that ministry team. And if, 
it wouldn't be that hard for me to avoid this person probably for the rest of my life if I needed to, right? But then Tony asked me to preach. And this was the text. And all of those things that I had suppressed, that I had tried to ignore, they just came welling up. And Jesus made it clear to me I had some work to do in my own life. That I had to deal with it. And that if I failed to forgive this person, that I, that I failed to follow him, and that I forfeited my own forgiveness. And I had a whole lot for, for which I need forgiving. And so the course of preparing for today's message, I had to stop. I had to set it aside for a few days. And I had to create space in my own life for what I needed to do. I, I had to reckon with what Jesus was asking of me and the potential consequences if I, if I failed to act on that. And so even though I wasn't sure that I was ready, whatever that means, right? Again, it's, it starts here. I had to make the choice of will to forgive. And if I'm being honest, that act of forgiving is still living here. It hasn't quite made it here yet. I'm being totally honest with you. But while, while I'm waiting for that, the one thing that I can control is my action. I can't control how I feel, but I can control what I do with my life. And so, um, so I have right here. I have a letter that in the midst of preparing for this, um, I had to write telling the person what they had done that had hurt me, forgiving them for doing so, and then spending quite a bit of time asking for their forgiveness for the ways that I've wronged them in return. And, and we'll see what happens. I don't you know. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, but I knew that that's what I needed to do. And so, so again, I don't know where Jesus is moving you today. Um, I encourage you to step into that one more time. Followers forgive. When we fail to forgive, we fail to follow, and we forfeit our own forgiveness. I'm going to pray for us to close, and then we're going to um, receive our offering and, and, and sing a song to close. And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. In these next few moments here, I'm going to encourage you. you. You know right now, I don't have to tell you, you know whatever it is that you have to do because of this, right? And it's none of my business. That's between, that's between you and the person and Jesus, right? I would encourage you in these next few moments to make a commitment to do it. Because here's what I know. The moment you walk out those back doors, it gets a whole lot easier to be like, eh, nah. I mean, like, I, I, yeah. Like, there was something going on in here, but, but uh, whatever. I'll, I'll handle it later. Make the commitment now, in these next few moments, to do what you need to do as a result of this teaching. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today in your name and, and to hear from your word. And today's word is a challenging one. Uh, Jesus, you, uh, again, as you so often did, you just flipped the whole thing upside down on us and, and called us and invited us to a new way of living that is foreign and different, but which is the life that you have intended for us and you give it to us freely. And, and as Tony said last week, through the power of your spirit, we know that we can do things that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And so today, for all of us here, I pray that your spirit would be working in and, in and through us to, to bring people, to bring situations to mind, which we have ignored for far too long. Situations and people where we feel like we have the upper hand because of what they've done to us. But, but when we begin to look in the mirror, um, we know that we've wronged other human beings the same way and maybe even the same people. And yet you bestowed grace on us. You gave freely to us when we didn't deserve it. You forgave it all and you gave us a new way of living. And so today, I, I just pray that we would have the courage to follow you, Jesus. 
the courage to do what we need to do, to let go of the hurt and the bitterness, and to forgive. And we know that that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden we're going to feel better about it, but we do know that what you have called us to do. And so would you give us the strength to do so? And would you move in incredible ways within those situations to begin to bring reconciliation and restoration where it is possible, Jesus? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your life that you have given to us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.